Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! You want a podcast? Great. So you have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, it is tax day here in the United States of America. Good to be with you. Monday, April 15th, 2019, episode 198 of the Anik and Florian Podcast as we cross our four-year anniversary of the show Good morning, Flo. Yo, that's crazy. First of all, close to 200 episodes and a four-year anniversary, dude. I didn't ah. get, I didn't get you anything. I'm embarrassed. It's okay. I haven't bought my wife anything, and we are coming up on uh, nine years of marriage. I've never <laughs> okay. bought her an anniversary gift. That's a fact, by the way. Wow. Uh, life's too busy, you know. Yeah. Oh, I remember when we didn't have children. We were talking about it yesterday. I mean, it, honestly, I don't know. I, I want to go hang out with that guy. I think he was probably a lot of fun. This guy, not very much fun. Uh, UFC 236 was a shit ton of fun. Uh, we may or may not even get into the TJ Dillashaw news. We eventually will. Uh, maybe a little bit with Ray Longo coming up here in about 10 minutes. Uh, but UFC 236 deserves to take up a, a good chunk of this show uh, Kenny will have four picks for you for UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Olenek. Pretty lean main card uh, coming up from St. Petersburg, Russia this weekend on ESPN+. Plus. Um, but let's get into UFC 236, kid, right away here. So normally when we break down these main cards, we go fight by fight. I almost think today 
we have to go like individual by individual because I want to make sure Dustin Poirier, Max Holloway, Kelvin Gastelum, Israel Adesanya all get their just due. Uh, but let us start with Dustin Poirier, who is now a lightweight world champion. We both felt very good about his chances in this fight, but he completes the job, right? There was no guarantees he was going to get this opportunity. The whole Tony Ferguson backdrop. Poirier gets his first UFC title fight in his 22nd UFC appearance. I hesitate to call it a lifetime achievement award because he's 30 years old and he still has work to be done. But uh, it all was for this moment, Kenny. Every bit of of blood, sweat and tears for Dustin Poirier was for this moment. And uh, he will have a UFC championship belt at at his home as long as he wants it. Yeah. And and I think we both saw it building uh, up until this point. This is a Dustin Poirier that has been maturing a lot. He's been adding to his skill set repeatedly. Um, I think this is a Dustin Poirier that truly believes in himself now um, and, and had all of that heading into this matchup against a smaller Max Holloway. And I think we saw the and, and again, it makes a difference. There's a reason they have weight classes. And I know Max Holloway walks around, uh, you know, probably as heavy or a little bit lighter, perhaps, than Dustin Poirier. Right. But again, when you look at their frames, Max Holloway has a much more narrow frame. Uh, Dustin Poirier, much broader at the shoulders. And, and when you're trying to knock someone out, that makes a big time difference. I mean, Max Holloway, you look at how many times he hit Brian Ortega. And yes, Ortega... Um, is kind of uh, you know a special individual in, in, in the amount of pain and damage that he can take. Right. But he wasn't the kind of guy who was just knocking guys out with one shot, right? Even at 145. So at right. 155, that's what concerned me against a guy like Dustin Poirier, who has proven himself to be way more durable at that weight class than he was at 145. Right. And I think the frame is proper context in a lot of respects, because if Max Holloway is going to move up to 155 pounds with finality, and that does not appear to be the case, uh, he's going to do it in a way that will be perpetually adding adding muscle to his frame. You know, I don't know if he's completely filled out yet or not. I think at this age he probably is, but there's certainly muscle that can be added. And he's also said that eventually Max has said he wants to compete at welterweight and eventually middleweight before his UFC career is over. And you're right. You know, he trains north of of 190. When he trains with Yancey Medeiros, even when Yancey was competing as a welterweight, Kenny, Yancey was always the smaller guy. So, uh, but congratulations to Dustin Poirier, your new UFC interim lightweight championship. 49-46 times three. I thought it was closer than that. So did Dustin Poirier himself, uh, as he said on our post show on ESPN+. Plus. Um, but I thought that there was a time in this fight in the second round where Poirier really had to reset and took some deep breaths, and he worked very hard in that first round. And it wasn't a a five-round sweep. I think I probably had it 3-2. Did you think it was closer than the judges did, or did you think it was a pretty clear 4-1 for Poirier? I mean, listen, if a round is close but the other person still wins the round— it could still be 49-46, right? I mean, right. it was a close fight. Yep. I just think that Dustin Poirier did win four rounds. Um, I, I don't see that being out of the question at all. I have no problem with that whatsoever. A couple of those rounds were very close. Uh, however, I thought Dustin – I have no problem with that. I, I thought Dustin won four, four of those rounds. And, um, again, I think damage – There was a big difference when Dustin Poirier was hitting Max Holloway than when Max Holloway was hitting uh, Dustin Poirier. And I I thought, again, this is exactly how I saw it. And I I don't always get the predictions right. But, um, 
you know, I, I, I saw Dustin Poirier just being able to, to, to put more damage on his opponent. Uh, and I think that that really was the difference. Holloway a little bit busier. Um, and I think for Holloway, I, I was surprised he didn't go to the body as much. And then both guys kind of abandoned the kicks after they round did. two, which was surprising as well. Yeah. So uh, I think for the fellow featherweights, it got to be a little bit discouraging, right, when you see Max Holloway absorb all of this damage at lightweight and he's not able to get knocked out by Dustin Poirier. I'm sure if Alexander Volkanovsky beats Jose Aldo, then he's going to be the guy and he thinks he has the power to take Max Holloway out, especially at 145 pounds. And that is another angle to this because Max is always a guy who enjoys and embraces fight week, but his whole training camp was just much more enjoyable at 155 pounds. So I know Dana White said that after the fact he'd like to see Max go down to 45, but I don't think this is some grand statement about what Holloway can or can do at 155 pounds. You know, I mean, I will sit here and in 15 minutes say I believe Calvin Gastelum absolutely can be the UFC welterweight champion. I'm not sure if Max Holloway can be that guy because of the murderer's row at 55 and because of his frame, um, but I'm not willing to sit here and say he can't be the champion at 155 if he decides that, that that's the path he wants to go here uh, in the not-too-distant future. I agree, and you look at how damn good Max Holloway is and how tough this warrior is. Um, I, I think it's further proof, and again, call me biased because I spent the majority of my career at 155 pounds, but the lightweight division is the toughest division in the whole sport. Yeah. Period. There, there's no question about it. You look at all the guys in that weight class and you compare it to every other weight class and how stacked it is. And you look at all the 55ers that have done tremendous at 170 pounds. Um, and as good as Max Holloway is, and he's certainly one of the best power for pound fighters in the world. He did not meet. He he did not beat Dustin Poirier. He just didn't yeah. have enough to oh, do I it. Agree. And, I mean, I and, agree. and Dustin Poirier is one of five guys that could win the belt. Yeah. Right. No. And, you know, I haven't always said without a shadow of a doubt, blanket statement, 155 is the toughest division in mixed martial arts. It's always been one or one A, whether we've talked about the welterweights or even yeah. in 2018, we talked a lot about the bantamweights. Uh, but no, I can certainly sit here on April 15, 2019 and say, given what we've seen over the last three years and lightweights moving up to welterweight to add to the narrative, uh, winning a belt at 155 pounds is a tremendous accomplishment. And this doesn't at all feel like an interim lightweight championship for Dustin Poirier. He will get a shot at the undisputed title. Habib Nurmagomedov likely in September. I don't know. Maybe uh, it's Abu Dhabi. I think Chael Sonnen was intimating that, that they would like to do that. Um, but this is a championship belt. He's getting pay-per-view points when he fights Khabib and unifies the titles. And uh, I, ju I just could not be happier for, for Dustin and his family to, to have this achievement. You bring up a great point, and you know I think a lot of people have been critical of the interim belt, myself included. Right. Um, you know, but listen, I think there's an argument to be made, and it should be the case for every single fight, right? But if the fighters know that there's a belt on the line, and that influences their legacy, um, and right. I think these guys fought a little bit harder than they normally would have. I, I know it, it, it's probably not the case for a lot of guys, but I really think that the, the way you put them up here in the main event with a belt, with a UFC championship belt on the line, I think it made these two fights a little extra special, I have to admit. So in that regard, yeah. 
this, the, you know, the fact that the interim belts were on the line, I really think it, it did something. I don't always think that way, right? But I do think it uh, for for these for these cases. Well, and I have always said circumstantially, there are times when a division absolutely needs an interim championship, and I think in both of these cases, it called for them to do it. All four guys were richly deserving of the opportunity that they were getting, so it was the perfect storm in a lot of ways. Now, I can understand people who don't necessarily consider Carlos Condit a UFC champion. Okay, he won an interim welterweight champion. Championship and and you know then fought for the undisputed title it was like he defended the interim belt or whatever. I consider him a champion. Maybe he doesn't necessarily. I also think the new belt plays in this a little bit, and I'm sure I'm going to lose some people there, Kenny. But look, man, this new belt. Uh, you know, when it first was revealed, I didn't think it was the greatest thing. I think it's fucking awesome now when I've seen it in person and I, I like it yeah. more every time I see it. And Dustin Poirier is the first guy with a new belt at 155 pounds. There are less than five of these things out there. And God damn it, Dustin Poirier has one in, in Lafayette, Louisiana today. So uh, really happy for him. He ends Max Holloway's 13 fight winning streak. And I think, too, why it doesn't feel like an interim title for Poirier, Kenny, is because Max Holloway hasn't lost a fight in five and a half years. And in any division to beat that guy in 2019, just really solidifies this title for me without a doubt uh, again I thought Dustin Poirier had to dig deep a couple times I think it was either the fourth you know the fourth round I believe yes. where Max Holloway was really beating up the body there and he kind of had to dig deep uh, but what a fight man I, again when you look at the output that he put out only in rounds one and two it was just ridiculous. I didn't. I wasn't sure he was going to be able to keep up that pace, especially right. against a guy like Max Holloway, is so, that is so hard to put away. And he's a high volume striker himself. Um, the fact that Poirier was able to keep up that pace for five rounds, I mean, there's no doubt about it. He is a true champion. If I had been sitting home as a fan, there was a time in the middle of that fight where I might have looked at a at a Max Holloway live line, right? Because I was concerned that Poirier might not be able to sustain it over 25 minutes, but he did. And here two, four and forever, Dustin Poirier can call himself uh, a UFC world champion. Of course, Khabib Nurmagomedov is the toughest fight for him in this division. He has said that many times, but uh, you can be sure he's going to get his best. And I think the fact that Poirier doesn't have to turn around in July and he has until September uh, is going to be a big factor, or at least for Dustin, I think mentally it'll help him that he's going to at least have some time to reset before another uh, seemingly hard 12 weeks ahead. All right, more on that fight later, more on on the early front runner for fight of the year in 2019, Israel Adesanya, Kelvin Gaslam for the UFC interim middleweight title. Uh, but Longo's impatient on a Monday morning. Let's get to it. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. The great Ray Longo now joins us fresh off another UFCW. Ray, why can't you guys put anybody away, man? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, man, there's I didn't no, get to no, see Kenny, you. Kenny, there's always, there's always that guy. You get to the Olympics and you you get the silver <laughs> medal. And there's always that guy. Why, why not the gold? Why, no why respect. No, no respect, this guy. No, oh, no I respect. Nah, I love the guy. You know I love him. I want it. I want to. We need to banter him. We love you know, it. you know, I'm messing with you because you're one of my favorite people in the world. And the fact that I didn't even get to shake your hand in Atlanta does not sit well with me. But I know we were both very busy. Uh, it's a big win for Matt Frivola. If you missed it, it was live on ESPN. Frivola by unanimous decision over Jalen Turner, 30 to 27 times three. Dominant win over a guy in Jalen Turner that a lot of people are very high on. Very tricky frame at 6'3 for the 155-pound division. Uh, I just thought it was a banner night for, for the steamroller. He's got to feel pretty good about it, I would think. 
I got to say, listen, man, here's a kid. They, they, he hasn't had an easy fight in the UFC, and this one wasn't either. But, you know, I do believe that war he had with Lando at the Garden really paved the way for this. You know, he's, he's growing every fight. Again, you saw the size difference in Turner. I mean, 6'3 at 155, and he's not like 6'1 being posted as 6'3. He's freaking 6'3. Right, he's every I bit 6'3. Yeah, you know what I mean? He's every bit 6'3. So great win for Steamroller. I mean, you know, he always comes to fight. I thought, you know, he's showing a little, uh, you know, he's growing. He, he mixed up the game. You know, I mean, not mixed up the game, mixed it up, you know, with the takedowns. He almost had a couple of submissions, which I think set the scene for uh, everything else. But it was, a, it was a great night for he got his first W in the UFC. And, you know, again, it's not easy coming off a loss in the draw mentally, you know, to face a guy like this. And, uh, sure. You know, he he went in there, you know, like nothing was going on, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And I think he's got the right mindset. So, really, hats off to the Steamroll. A great kid, great family, and I'm really, really happy for him. Ray, congratulations to you guys. Uh, man, another great night was uh, it was for Israel Adesanya, man. It, it just an absolute classic of a fight. Um, he couldn't put away the horse neck of Kelvin Gastel. <laughs> These guys went back and forth, man. What did you think of this fight? I tell you, same thing everybody else thought about. It really is a classic. And, uh, man, I got to tell you, I thought Kelvin had the momentum going into the fifth. And I don't know, man. I got to give it up to Asanya. He, he found a way to, to muster up a great fifth round. And he, he all but had him out. You know, I love Kelvin. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, thought it, I thought that fight was up in the air. And I, I, th- I think the biggest thing... When Kelvin had him in trouble that time, he went for a takedown instead of going for the finish. I think changed the whole fight, to be honest with you. But I don't know. He was right there. They're both great, I think. you know. And look, we had two fights where you know the ebb and flow of the fight, one guy's winning and the other guy comes back and the other guy comes. Those are the fights that you know keep you on the end, edge of your seat. I mean, so we had two. We had ten rounds of absolute, you know, greatness you know what i mean it, which is that's a lot man i was exhausted by the end of that night you oh, know? And i'm sure you ray, were too john you know ray it was clear i think heading into the fight and i think during the fight that israel Adesanya was the more technical fighter but i think we learned a lot about that guy that this guy has heart and determination and toughness uh unlike a lot of guys out there exactly no i think so you know i think look he I think he, he met adversity, and that's what you want out of a champ, and he was able to deal with it. And uh, he got the W, man, with a fucking strong fifth round, like, you know, crazy. So hats off to him, man. You know, I think, uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy. It was just an exciting night all around, man. Yeah, I, I mean, really, honestly, 25 minutes of offense in both championship fights, you know, and oftentimes these these championship fights can take on a – a tactical, technical flow, and there's a lot of risk management involved. And uh, I just feel like these athletes uh, were really trying to seize a world championship, all four of them. And for Kelvin Gastelum, Ray, I just have to say, right, huge fourth round. It was all in front of him in that fifth round. And then Israel Adesanya turns in a championship round for the fucking ages, right? A 10-8 in the fifth, uh, a round they'll be talking about for so long. But I just I have so much respect for Kelvin Gastelum and all of these guys, right? But for for the championship, you know, pedigree and for his prospects moving forward, uh, I, I think he's going to be a problem and a factor here at 185 pounds. I know he's given up some size, but uh, 
you know, this guy's an absolute bull, and I thought he, you know, acquitted himself really well. Again, remember, this was a guy that was fighting at 170. He's five foot nine. You know, he, he is a giant killer, and I tell you, he, again, it was a great fight, and uh, I wouldn't even mind seeing a rematch in that fight. You know, yeah. I think it, it was worthy. Of, it definitely was worthy of it. I think Gastelum could really make some adjustments that would be a big, big plus for him. I mean, every time he... You know, he just wasn't throwing more than two punches at a time. I mean, he, you know, if he strung along a couple of combos and kept pushing forward, I think that's a different fight, man. I really do. But, um, like, again, hats off to the other. I mean, like, these are fights I don't even like to say anything about, except they were just great fights. And, yeah. you know, that's it. You know, yeah. Everybody who won deserved to win. And, you know, they were they were competitive. Uh, you know, they were heartfelt. I mean, it was just great. It was a great night, a great night for the UFC putting together those fights and uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed them. What's interesting about the middleweight division is that, you know, Kelvin Gastelum, at least with this effort in defeat, he put himself in position where if something were to happen to Whitaker or Adesanya, he's on that short list, right? I know Jacques de Souza, Dana White said he's going to kill him if he doesn't give him a title fight, but you can be sure Kelvin Gastelum's going to be a big Jack Hermanson fan on uh, April 27th because if Jacques is <laughs> out of the mix and all of a sudden one of those guys pulls out, you know, Gastelum has got to be the guy. So uh, with respect to your boy Wyman and anybody else, you know, I just feel like this raised his stock. And uh, I do think eventually he'll be able to at least fight for a title again if he doesn't win it. Um, before we let you go, uh, yeah. and by the way, dude, uh, you picked Kelvin Gastelum and Max Holloway, so unfortunately you don't win any money. Kenny, we technically win money when he when he uh, when he misses. So <laughs> I like that. So you guys are, I like that. You I'll guys are that. in a win. Yeah, you guys are in a win-win situation. I'm the only schmuck that loses. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you did get 50 bucks for Frivola's win. You don't get the extra hundo for the finish. But uh, no. it's going to be uh, a big couple weeks ahead for you. I know you have, among other things locally, on the UFC front, you have Marab Tavalishvili and Ally Quinta, uh, both, I think, May 4th in Ottawa. Is that right? Oh, very. So let me tell you something. I got off the plane from Georgia I, I took a nap for an hour. He came. I met Al at the gym. He was on fire last night, man. Let me tell you, I'm so psyched for him and him and uh, Marab on May 4th. It's it's unbelievable. I walked into that gym a little groggy by the time he was done sparring. I was I was revved up, man. He's looking great. I love the guy. Uh, Marab's a fucking beast. We, we're gonna have. It's gonna be a good night. It really is. I'm really happy for this. That's great to hear about Al. Is that kind of what happens on the podcast, Ray? You come on, you're kind of groggy, and then by the end of it, you're all fired up. Is that kind of the same thing? I'm raring to go, John. Let's there do it. Go. Are we done? Or go. Are we, we go. We yeah, well, well go. I, I'm trying to delay you a little bit because I'm looking up the betting line on Iaquinta and Donald Cerrone. Uh, I'm not going to bet on this fight despite what Conor McGregor thinks, as he tweeted over the weekend. But um, Oh, what did, what did Conor McGregor think? He just, no, he just tweeted to me, you know, I said I wasn't betting on the fights, and he said, of course you are, John. We both we like both underdogs, you know. I mean, he has <laughs> me to a T. Uh, all right, I'm not seeing a betting line uh, on Al and Donald Cerrone, but we'll circle back on that uh, coming up next week. Uh, anything else before we let you fly? Uh, man, I got a couple of people fighting at the at the garden at the Hulu Theater this Saturday. Had to, I mean, just uh, good luck to Austin Halleck. He's a young kid, 19, having his uh, second or third fight. He's somebody to look look for in the future. He's a great kid. And uh, another, another, we got so we got like 10 guys at 155. One guy better than the next. 
Uh, and I got two girls fighting, Paula and Ashley, and they're uh, you know they're both amateurs, and they're, they're, it's an exciting time for them to fight at the garden. So everybody tune in to Hulu Theater this Saturday night. All right, don't be mad at me, but I need 60 more seconds because we talked a lot about TJ Dillashaw when we didn't know all of the specifics. So I'd be remiss if I didn't at least get something from you now that we know it was EPO and he's going to be suspended for two fucking years. Um, yeah. any, any thoughts Sorry. when that crossed your wake uh, about a week ago? I, I got to say, I think TJ's the benefactor of these guys having great fights because everybody forgot about it a little bit. I know, you know I know. Good point. I That's think a good he really point. is because that. That whole thing is a debacle that that letter is coach wrote. I, I, I could throw in the garbage. I mean, I don't know apology, nothing, you know, then he's, a, yeah. he goes on, he's a man of few words. And then you saw what that turned into. I'd hate to see him if he said he was a man of a lot of words. <laughs> been fucking, yeah. I mean, really, what was that, Kenny? I'm a man of few words. And then the diatribe that followed was yeah. like, is this guy fucking Joe? I mean, I don't look, I don't know the guy. I, he shouldn't take this personally. He could be standing next to me. I wouldn't know, but I got to tell you, if I'm not like an outsider looking in, just not a good sign, not a good look, not a good sign. I would have liked an apology. And, you know, these guys are so knowledgeable that they claim to be so knowledgeable. They have to know something like, you know, there's something going on. And I think, you know, to me, what made the TJ thing just worse is the way he got on Rogan and was gassing up everything that, that, and I don't know if that's like, uh, you know, some sort of moral relativeness or whatever the hell you want to call it. But, you know, it's like kind of like Elliot Spitzer, man. The guy's going to whorehouses and then he's prosecuting people for going to whorehouses. Right. That's a special animal, man. I got to tell you, that, that right. takes, that's a special individual. You can go on in knowing that you're cheating right. and just start talking like that. I think just, holy crap, it just makes it worse. Right. I, I hear that yeah. where you could sort of just not have any problem just, you know, misleading the public. And I agree with you in terms of yeah, uh, I, how is, poorly yeah. things have been handled, yeah. whether it's Sam Calavita or even TJ with respect. Right. His initial statement, I thought, just wasn't very tight. And it almost left open the possibility that maybe, you know, there would be some innocence there. And then obviously the video, I don't think, apologized to all the right people necessarily. As good as some of the advice Dillashaw has gotten on the business front with certain things, sponsorship deals and otherwise that have come his way, uh, from a public relations standpoint, yeah, I do think their response left a lot to be desired for sure. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, it's funny, man, because I didn't even notice, but, you know, uh, somebody tweeted out Pedro Munoz was suspended for a year. The guy Aljo's fighting, I sent it to him. Like, I didn't even know that. You see, when you don't come out in the public and make a big deal about it, you know, you might get suspended. It just goes under the rug a little easier, you know? And I well, think he just made everything harder on himself. And I got to tell you, man, I was out in Atlanta. The public sentiment on cheating now is at an all-time high. It's not going over good. People are pissed, and, right. you know, it's, it's – I, I don't know how this guy's going to deal with it, walking in the room of fighters, looking at oh, him in the eyeball at this point. I, I, well, that's a tough thing, man, so I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, you know, and I sent him a private message to try to sort of build him up a little bit. I do think time will help heal this, right? Because we're going to shift gears when we hang up with you and talk about UFC 236, you know, and yes. I do think that eventually, uh, you know, people will, uh, some will forgive, some never will. I think, you know, Henry Cejudo said he's never going to fight him again, and I'd be, you know, I don't know. There are a lot well, of layers to it. Uh, I, I got to tell you, John, but I think that what Henry Cejudo said, I kind of like, and I'm going to tell you something. If the UFC can't police these guys, I think the fighters should. 
And you know yeah. what? If everybody says the same thing, you're a cheater, I'm not fighting you. Right. That's pretty harsh, man. You know, so I see that coming down the line that they're going to take yeah. matters into their own hands. They're not going to wait for anybody to do, you know, what should have been done. Right. And, um, and that's it. If that happens, it's just, it's going to highlight, it's going to highlight a, a situation even more. And that those right. guys, it's getting crazy, man. It really is. And it's just, it's rotten. It's not right. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know anymore, but there's a guy we all liked, you know what I mean? That's what really is crazy. We all I liked know. him. Sad. And this is rotten. It's not right. You know? Yeah, uh, I, I think I think if you look at you know the, what the fighters could do, I think blackballing a, a fighter would be a bad idea as far as saying, "Hey, listen, I'm not going to fight this guy. He, he's done. I'm not going to fight someone who's a former cheater or whatever." But yeah, it's tough, man, because you know you look at the perception of things. There was a great article. I think it was MMA Junkie that came out with it and how we treat certain cheaters. Um, I mean, there's guys that have cheated in the UFC multiple times that are still in and around the UFC. Right, I don't think right. I have to name names, but I mean, what, what do you do? Yeah. You become a jokester now. T.J. Dillashaw, the jokester, and he jokes about using drugs, and you yeah, know, he yeah. does all that stuff, right. and then everyone's going to accept him, and it's going to be cool again, right? Is that is that is right. that what you're supposed well, to do? You know, I mean, listen, it's I it's what, ridiculous. Uh, yeah, look, I don't know what you're supposed to do, but I tell you that that damage control is important, and. You know, like even what Chael did, you know, what? Like only a, I was only measuring 18. I thought I would have been at 24. You know, he was at a time when I think it was nobody really was that sure of what was going on. This is it that Chael gets popped today? It's a different story. The joke, and I don't think he's going to save him back then. Well, I think well it, it was the same. It was even worse. It was even worse. He was sitting at he was sitting at the desk talking about Vanderlei Silva popping for drugs and and talking about what he was doing and. You know, he ended up popping yeah. what a week later. So I don't know. Yeah, I, it's yeah, just yeah, it's right. No, no, crazy. I, I get it. I, I, I how I'm are people being punished? Understand. You know. Yeah. Well, I think like again, as time moves on, that's what I'm saying. I never felt this type of sentiment with other people as I did with the TJ thing. And why? I don't know. I, I maybe it's just you know people are fed up at this point, and and like uh, Chael was at the beginning, but you're right. It's the same thing with a lot of guys, and. uh you know, it's not, I'm telling you, that's a different story today. Nobody's laughing about it. Nobody's well, I think in some it. of these cases, though, Ray, there is a gray area, even though a lot of people think that's bullshit, whether it's a tainted supplement defense or there's a, there's a testosterone angle and they were too elevated, right? This is EPO. 90% of the time it's injected, right? There isn't a lot of right. room for interpretation in this particular case. And USADA came down swiftly. Yes, they could have given him a four-year suspension, but it was an immediate two-year suspension. It was not contested by the athlete. He admitted this publicly. Like you talk about Pedro Munoz, and I say this with all due respect, and if you think he's dirty, fine, but he immediately came out, uh, had no no idea what had happened, right? It, it was easy for me as an observer to think, man, you know, this kid, it seems like he just took something that, and again, people are going to say, oh, you're defending a cheat, whatever. And in, in the case of Pedro Munoz, he immediately screamed from the rooftops, I have no idea what's going on. And when they don't do that, to me, it's an immediate red flag. Yeah, I got to say, the other thing is, you know, even when, when Chris, when Weidman first fought Anderson Civil, we were told that he was doing EPO. He was injecting in his neck. I mean, even had where he was injecting it. But you know what? Honestly, I'm going to tell you something. I, I didn't give a fuck. I really didn't. And, yeah. you know, I think I trained these guys the right way. They put the right work. I really don't give a shit what anybody's on. But when it comes down to, like, right and wrong, it just sucks. 
it sucks it's a different situation and it's a different situation yeah. when it's the fight game, man. Like again, we're right, we're not exactly. out there trying there to score no, goals and hit balls, yeah, you know, no, out, no, out of the out of the stadium. We're we're fucking <laughs> no punching faces. You know, we're punching yeah, faces no at the end of the day. Hey, listen, not for nothing, man. Like again, I you know, with a couple of Aljo's fight, man, I ended up having a couple of drinks with Bisbing, who I I literally love. I think the guy's just a stand up good dude. Nutty is a you know, batshit crazy, but I love the guy. But I tell you, in the middle of the conversation, the guy pops his eyeball out. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I thought you just had like a problem. The guy has no vision in his fucking right eye. Right. He goes, thanks to be the Belfort. Yeah. I mean, that, see, that shit gets serious. I think, you know, from that day on, like that night on, I looked at everything different. That guy lost his fucking eyesight. Man, that's fucking bullshit. That's not a joke anymore. You know what I mean? So I think the timing is just, the, you know, it, it, the people aren't putting up with it anymore. It's just the yeah. bottom line. Yeah, you know, you want to lose your fucking eyesight? That that's that that's gonna make somebody happy. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. It's awful, yeah. awful, absolutely horrible. All right, man. Well, uh, don't get too upset because you got a big couple weeks ahead. Okay. And I just, I think you just put me down negative. I want to kill somebody right now. I know. I know. I know. Let me go cool off. All right, well, guys. I will talk to you next week. Thanks, Love Rick. you, buddy. Congrats on the W. All right, thanks, buddy. Thank you. So, uh. I think way back in that conversation, we mentioned Israel Adesanya and the heart, Kenny, and the heart of a champion. And if you think it's a trite phrase, maybe you didn't see the fight this weekend. But I remember when we learned about John Jones's heart and you always knew it was in there. But sometimes it takes a fight for you to really realize it, whether for you it was when he fought Gustafson without a great training camp and just refused to be denied uh, or the toughness in the Vitor Belfort fight, whatever it is. Um, but if you're Robert Whitaker sitting around, you know, now you know that Adesanya has has this will and uh, it makes for a very difficult challenge, given everything else he does, you know, Oh, without a doubt. Bad news for everyone else at 185 pounds. It was the same. It was almost the same moment when Leota Machida uh, just kind of buckled the knees of John Jones with the left hand that one time. And you saw Jones just John Jones just pick it up another notch. It was the same thing with Israel Adesanya. He, 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 again, he never lost focus. He never got flustered when his knees got buckled there by that shot by Kelvin Gastelum. If anything, it actually increased his focus and he got better. Yep, he got did. sharper as the fight went down. And I believe it was you, uh, John, who, who made a great point of saying this is the, the most uh, amount of adversity that Israel Adesanya has faced in his UFC career at this point. So we, 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 we got it. We got a taste of what this guy is all about. Um, he raised his level. He raised his game up. He he did a great job of stopping those takedowns. I thought that was tremendous. Yep. Um, still needs work on the ground, both him and Kelvin. But my goodness, Israel Adesanya is an absolute warrior. And you know that if he needs to go to that dark place, he can. He'll go to that dark place. And he also mentioned on, on our post show on ESPN Plus when he was riding the Airdyne or whatever it is that almost bring himself to tears on it. And not in a sad way, just that he's going to that dark place and he is willing and able to go there. And he certainly showed you that. And when I sat down with him on Thursday for our fighter meeting, uh, he mentioned your name and he said, you told him at one point, or he got from you at one point that you really need to develop before you get to the UFC so that when you get there, you're ready to challenge the elite, right? And because one little slip up and it gets you off of that championship trajectory. And you're right, there's still work to do when it comes to the wrestling and the grappling. But if you saw on the post show, he was discouraged that he wasn't able to finish those two submissions, right? So he he learned something there and 
you better get him now, right? I'm not the first person to say it, but you better get him now, whether it's John Jones, right? Like if you're John Jones, you should hope that, you know, and again, John Jones is the greatest of all time, but rather fight this guy in the next 18 months than the 24 months thereafter, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I thought he showed a lot already, man. I mean, obviously, listen, I had my questions. I've been a supporter of Adesanya, obviously, since before he got into the UFC. But I think he answered a lot of questions of just how damn good he is. Uh, obviously, this was not too early. That was my concern here against right. Kelvin. Right. And uh, man, this guy is the real deal. Last thing for me, and then if you have any closing thoughts on Gaslam and Adesanya, uh, I would welcome them. Size just matters in this game, right? And I'm not saying that the the best thing about John Jones or Israel Adesanya or Montel Jackson at Bantamweight is their size, but it is a massive, massive advantage. When I see Montel Jackson competing at 135 pounds with that frame or Jalen Turner in the lightweight division, uh, for Kelvin Gaslam, Kenny, I kept saying it during the fight, but you just have to be so precise and so perfect, and you almost do have to throw everything to kill at times or just stay so committed to the jabs. It's got to be four or five punch combinations to get inside. You, you're giving up nine inches in reach. You you have to fight, at least in my amateur mind, like a near-perfect fight to beat a guy like Adesanya when you're on the wrong end of that size equation. Your amateur mind is correct. Listen, if, if you have the choice between a short, stocky frame and a long, lanky frame, I'll take the long, lanky frame every single time. I don't need the power. You give me the ability to keep you on the outside repeatedly, and we can make that system sharp. You are in for a long night. Israel Adesanya, man, he is such a technical striker. He knew exactly what where he needed to keep the distance, keeping Kelvin on the outside. And yeah, you know, you got to get on the inside land combinations. That's great in theory. You try that in practice because Adesanya knows how to move his feet. He knows how to counter. And, and, right. and I thought he could have even used his leg game even more with kicks down the middle or kicks up top. Um, and when he did, he was extremely effective. So... Um, I, I agree with you. I think Kelvin uh, Gaslam, we've talked about it several times here on the podcast. He is a welterweight. He's he, he's a welterweight. I, I think he should be fighting at that weight. That's when he'll yep. really be at his best. There was a couple problems in that fight. The two major ones. All right. The fact that he was keeping his hands way too low. And the second one, he, he couldn't do anything about it. It was his frame. Just didn't have the frame to compete with someone like Israel Adesanya uh, at that level. And I wonder if this will reopen the welterweight door for Kelvin Gaslam. I think he'll probably commit to middleweight for a couple years and just see if yeah. he can get the quick turn and get into a championship situation. You know, some people said, oh, two more wins and you're right back there again. I, I think one win is going to put him in yes. prime position. And, and again, who knows what will happen? You know, it's a, it's a sport in which injuries are, are a huge part. Real quick, before we move on, how a quick just handicap of Whitaker Adesanya. Uh, I think Whitaker will probably be a slight betting favorite, but I think it's probably going to be close to a pick given that uh, Israel Adesanya was a bigger betting favorite against Calvin Gaslam than Robert Whitaker was, or it was very close. Uh, what do you think about the new middleweight unification bout we now have on paper? I have so much respect for Robert Robert Whitaker, especially after those amazing performances against an absolute savage in Yoel Romero. But I got to say, after that fight against Calvin Gaslam um, is even stronger now that Israel Adesanya matches up even better against Robert Whitaker than yeah. he did against Kelvin Gastelum. Because, yes, Robert Whitaker can probably surprise him with a couple double legs. You know, he is fast on the entry, and um, I know he's been working on his wrestling skills a lot. 
However, I think it's going to be a striking fight against Israel Adesanya. And Israel is just really, really clean, knows how to switch up his styles, knows how to adapt uh, in a fight, in a high-level five-rounder. Um, I think as Israel Adesanya is going to be the favorite heading into that. Uh, for, for me, I, I yeah. think Israel yeah. Adesanya matches up extremely well against Robert Whitaker. I think he's the better striker. Um, I think Whitaker can give him some problems speed-wise. But uh, for me, I think as Israel Adesanya will unify that belt and become uh, a true world champion at 185 pounds. It is going to be one of the most amazing nights in UFC history. Regardless, it'll be in a stadium in all likelihood in Australia. It's going to be the Kiwis versus the Aussies, and oh. it is going to be insane. And as I've said, even though there's a lot of support of each other at times because Australia and New Zealand have sort of helped grow this MMA bubble and help the UFC a lot in terms of uh, their appetite for it, um, but there's a rivalry there. Don't. You know, don't make any mistake about it. You know, yes. Robert Whitaker doesn't claim New Zealand, even though he was born there. Right. And I remember when you and I were calling fights back in the day and we called Dylan Andrews an Aussie. Right. The Kiwis are getting upset. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of of meat there. And I'm excited yes. for that. I'm going to shout out a few names here and then we're going to move on to the pronunciation of the week. I want to congratulate Brandon Davis for winning his UFC Bantamweight debut. Kenny, I, I know you didn't see the fight, but he went from running 10 miles a week to running 20 miles a day. Jeez. during camp to, to make 135 pounds. Now, he wasn't running three quarters of a marathon at a time, but essentially doing three sevens a day. This is a guy who had Man. to wake up at 2 a.m. on weigh-in day and get five and a half miles in, you know? I could respect that. I kind of had to do that to make 145. I bet. I bet. Uh, so that is extremely difficult because, again, you're, you're wearing your body down before the fight even comes. So that kind of commitment, that kind of mental fortitude uh, is always going to impress me. Congrats to Bilal Muhammad. Big win over Curtis Millender. Exactly what he needed. And Khalil Roundtree Jr. goes to Thailand and immediately realizes the fruits of his labor. A domination of uh, of Eric Anders on the main card. And and nice job by Roundtree Jr. Just a good kid. Easy to root for. And, uh, and now he's a light heavyweight contender. So congratulations to him. All right. Hope we didn't shortchange anybody on UFC 236. Poirier, Holloway, Gaslam, Adesanya, and everybody else. Uh, you've certainly got all our respect after the show you put on. And... Uh, as Chael Sonnen would say to Atlanta, Georgia, you're welcome. Uh, all right, pronunciation of the week, TJ DeSantis, 1-3 after a win a week ago. Uh, this man is going to try to move to 17-1 and one as a mixed martial arts professional faces newcomer Armin Saryukin in the co-main event this Saturday afternoon in St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, TJ DeSantis, of whom am I speaking? Islam Makachev. All right, let's hear him say it. Islam Makachev. Islam oh. what do you think? Mahashev. Exactly. So, TJ, it's all about the syllabic emphasis, right? So, it's all about emphasizing the right syllable. It was a very good effort out of you, but what we go with on broadcast is not what you said. Kenflo, all over it as usual. Islam Mahashev, it is the second syllable that is emphasized. And as much as I love you, TJ, that's Bro. one and four on the Bro, year. split decision loss. I'm sorry, TJ. <laughs> I'm I'm turning I mean, into Shannon Rich over here. It was close. Well, t you know, Kenflo, technically it's a unanimous decision loss because neither yeah, one this gave him, uh, <laughs> gave him, gave right. him the point. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, TJ. But we love you. Who's Shannon Rich? Should I know that name? Uh, he's a career jobber in MMA. Okay. He has like 180 fights to his record. And, right. and he's lost like 80% of them. So. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, 
Hey, I mean, back when we started this podcast in 2015, TJ actually gave a shit about his record and the pronunciation of the week. Um, now he doesn't seem to care as much, but uh, I digress. Hey, all I right, thought, so, I, thought uh, I had that one. What do you want from me? You know? All right. I, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for the effort, buddy. Uh, all right. Well, uh, main event challenge time as we transition to St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, let's make some picks. It's the main event challenge. Annick. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right. It was 51-34. Team Anik, you faced Chris Heights last week. You guys tied 3-3. So a oh. uh, nice underdog winner for Chris on Khalil Roundtree Jr. Of course, you had Dustin Poirier. You had him by decision. 3-3 on the week. It is 54-37. And representing Team Anik today, he is the owner and MMA coach at Flawless Victory MMA in Ridgecrest, California. A guy who 10 years ago, Flo, had a question read by us on MMA Live on ESPN2. The great Antoine Hood is with us. My man, good morning. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you? What's up, guys? How's everything? You know, I saw that Antoine Hood name. And, and, and truth be told, right, we go in order for this main event challenge. So you were next up in the queue. I, I wish it was UFC 229. You get the same Petersburg <laughs> show. But I know you've been a longtime supporter, man. And so I, when I saw your name in print, I kind of knew who you were. And we're happy to have you today, my friend. Yeah, I'm honored, guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not the uh, – especially coming off this last card, my heart's still beating from that the other night. But – you know, I'm ready to rock and roll, man. I've done my homework. I've actually followed a lot of these guys uh, early in their career, man. So I'm ready to go, man. I'm ready to kick Kenny's butt. <laughs> and, and if I had known you were a diehard New York Giants fan since 1982, I probably would have skipped you in a few. But, uh, let's get to it. So we got four fights uh, on this weekend's card. St. Petersburg, Russia, prelims, ESPN 2 at 10 a.m. Eastern. Main card, 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, women's flyweight division, Antoine, former world title challenger. Yes, she is that. Roxanne Modafferi, plus 280, though, here. She takes on Antonina Shevchenko. Shevchenko minus 355. She's 34 years old, so not that much younger than Roxanne Modafferi. Far less experienced, though. 7-0 as a pro makes her second UFC start as the favorite. Prohibitively, I might add. Antoine, who do you like here, Shevchenko or Modafferi? You know, well, Modafferi, you know, has the uh, experience in MMA, but Shevchenko has, you know, uh, over 40 tough kickboxing fights, too. And her main training partner is her sister, which is a champion. So I got to go with Shevchenko running away with this for that decision. Ken Flo, Shevchenko minus 355. Some would suggest she might even deserve more respect than that from Vegas. Uh, one UFC win in four tries for Modafferi. 22-16 and 16 in a pro career that dates to 2003. Do you think she's up against it here? What? I'm so tempted to go with Modafferi. Why? Because she's, she's a good grappler, and she's got the advantage there for sure against Shevchenko. I, I'm just not sure she's going to be able to get close enough and be consistent enough uh, against Shevchenko. I think Shevchenko is going to be by far the sharper striker uh, in the clinch. If she needs to, she can utilize uh, her clinch game, get those knees to the body, go upstairs with them as well. Um, big fan of Mataferi, but I think Shevchenko wins this as well. All right, next up at heavyweight, Marcin Tabura, minus 160, the favorite against Shamil Abdurahimov. He comes back at plus 130. Uh, Antoine Hood, both guys have headlined in the UFC in the past. Pretty close fight, at least on paper. Who do you like? Yeah, it's a really close fight, but uh, I think uh, Marcin Tabura has been tested more, so I'm going to go with uh, Marcin Tabura for this fight. Tanflo Tabor went five rounds and a loss to Fabricio Verdun back in 2017. 
four and three in the UFC overall. Win over Stefan Struve last July. Abdir Rahimov on the other side had a main event against the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. That was Albany 2016. And that's, you know, his only loss in his last five fights. And there was a lot of good in it. So big opportunity for both of these heavyweights to try to make a run. Abdurrahimov or Tabora uh, for you. I hope this is a good fight. I, I don't know how great of a fight it's going to be. Both guys kind of really not so active. Tabora probably has a little bit more power. But, you know, I need points, man. I, I'm going to go with Abdurrahimov. I think if it goes to a decision, he's got a, he's got a chance. All right, co-main event, Antoine Islam Makhachev, minus 470, taking on the debuting Armin Saryukian, who is plus 345. Any thoughts on the co-main for us? Um, I'm going to go with the dog this time, man, with Armin Saryukian because, uh, you know, he just had some real tough fights coming up at 13-1. And, one. and uh, a lot of people that, that's in the know, he has one over Magomed Magomedov, too, as an amateur. I mean, you know, that was a long time ago, but that's a big name under his belt, man. I'm going with Armand by KO with the upset. All right, Armin Saryukian. I like it. Plus 345. Kenny Saryukian, 22 years old. Wrestler, kickboxer, born uh, in the nation of Georgia, so not Atlanta, Georgia. Trains out of Thailand. Uh, what do you think about the co-main event? Yeah, it's an interesting fight, and he has an excellent wrestling background as well, which concerns me, but I'm going to go with Islam Makhachev. I, I think he gets it done. Makhachev, 16-1. He's won four in a row, trained by the great Abdulmanap Nurmagomedov, father to Khabib. The nickname, by the way, for Armin Saryukian is Ahalkalakets. I should have uh, – we didn't have that file. That's why we didn't go with it. I think it's Ahalkalakets, and I hope I'm pronouncing his, his, his surname correctly also. All right, main event, guys. Alistair Overeem, minus 245. Alexi Olenek, plus 205. Antoine, we'll need the round of the method of victory here. Who do you like in the main event in Russia? Bro, it's 130 fights between the two of them. How crazy, crazy. is that? That's man? nuts. Uh, I just, I just think with uh, Olympics uh, awkward stance, he kind of squares up a whole lot and leans himself back a lot. You know, when people are uh, doing long strikes, so I think Overing is going to bait him with the southpaw jab and have him lean backwards and catch him with the left high kick in the first round. KO. Overing first round KO. Antoine, I like your style, my friend. Th- thanks for all the support, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Man, you guys are awesome. Have a good one. Thanks, Antoine. Antoine Hood making picks here on the main event challenge. And we have guest pickers on every end of the spectrum. You know, I tend to like the brevity. I'm not going to lie to you. Give you a couple (laughs) nuggets and then get the fuck back to your day job. Great job, Antoine (laughs) Hood. And uh, we appreciate you, man. All right. So little backstory on this main event or a little information for you. Take it or leave it. So I don't know if we should call Olenek underrated or an overachiever, Kenny, but he's 57-11-1 as an MMA pro. And maybe more saliently for this conversation, he's 6-2 in the UFC. Back-to-back submission wins over Mark Hunt and Junior Albini. That was a main event against Mark Hunt. Only recent loss to Curtis Blades. You know, I don't know... I don't know if I think there's value on him at plus 205. I don't know if this is a great matchup for him, but, you know, walk to the window and bet against Alexei Olenek uh, at your own discretion because he's made a lot of people pay in the past. What do you think about the main event? He has. He, he loves to surprise people, obviously known for that Ezekiel choke, which is extremely rare uh, with, without a kimono on your body. Um, <laughs> and this guy is an absolute beast. Very, very tough man. With that said, though, I, I mean, he has a lot to be desired uh, on the feet. Uh, you know, he takes a lot of damage there. He gets hurt, and he's going against uh, a guy in Alistair Overeem who has a lot of offense. And I also think that o- Olenek, you know, he, he's 
he doesn't have the best takedowns necessarily. I just don't see him taking down an experienced guy like Alistair Overeem. Alistair Overeem can make mistakes, uh, mental mistakes at times during fights. I just don't see him making one here uh, against Alexi Olenek. I, too, was going to go with the first-round knockout. Um, to make things interesting, let's go with round two uh, KO by Alistair Overeem. All right, so both Antoine and Ken feel like Alistair Overeem. Pretty good form of ladies. Won three of five, halted that two-fight skid by knocking out Sergey Pavlovich in November in China. All right, last thing before we go. So who? what do you think is, is the more likely future, that Max Holloway would get himself in position to win the lightweight championship, that Max Holloway would win the lightweight title, or that Kelvin Gastelum would win the UFC middleweight title? What do you think is more likely? Right. Two guys, essentially, right, who both are are competing up a weight class, at least in the eyes of many people. Uh, but I ask it just in the in the context of, you know, do you think Holloway can be a lightweight champion? And if not, you know, then maybe you go back to 45 and really try to, you know, take out the Volkanovskis and Edgars of the world. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him eventually, you know, retire those featherweight trunks. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, isn't Holloway still like 27 years old? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's 27. 27. He has plenty of time to improve and get better as a fighter. Um, I think Max Holloway can get even better. I think there's a whole lot of room for improvement. I think there's a whole lot of room for him to put some size on at 155 pounds. And as much as respect that I have for Kelvin Gastelum, uh, and I think with some adjustments himself, he could have beaten Israel Adesanya. I just moving forward at this point for for Kelvin, I think he's better off at 170 pounds than he is at 185, and um, I, I just think I, just based on his frame and uh, you know his ability to to kind of get down a little bit in weight, yeah. um, I think Max Holloway has a better ability to be a champion at lightweight, in my opinion. Yeah. All right, we'll see what happens, but congratulations to all the athletes on putting on a show. UFC 236, Holloway versus Poirier 2. Certainly a card that we will not forget anytime soon, and thanks for indulging us. You know, after a card like that, I think we're both pretty thankful to have this platform, uh, you know, to talk about it to all of you after the fact. So uh, that's it for today. Uh, Hopefully we'll also soon have an update on the video component of this podcast. People just want to see Kenny, right? I mean, I think a lot of people miss your face. And, you know, they got BattleBots on the Discovery Channel. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I I just think people miss Ken Flo. So we're going to try to get that on YouTube at some point here, you know, by June 1st. So we'll give ourselves a deadline on the air. uh, Maybe it'll actually happen. Uh, Ken Flo, Longo for TJ and the rest. John and fans so long for now. We will talk to you uh, next Monday. Until then, yo fucking later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. 
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.